William Tincup, and we are recording live from Transform in Vegas at the Greenhouse booth. And we have two folks from Oyster today with us on as guests, Kim and Chris. So, uh, Kim, won't we do? Won't you introduce yourself first? Sure. Hi. Sure. I'm Kim Rower. I'm the principal people partner at Oyster. It means I help people with all their people things. Is it like a principal engineer, but for people shit? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, peop- that's, this is how I explain HR to people. Yeah. I'm like, it's uh, firefighting. Yes. That's what it is. They come in, yeah. and they just have a hose. Yep. And they just go around and, yep. you know, hose people off. And then the other side of my job is I try to stop the fires from starting <laughs> wherever possible. Preemptively. Yeah, I'm like Smokey the Bear. Nice. Fair enough. Yeah. Done. Chris, what about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Chris Martinez, and I'm the Senior Internal Communications and Events Manager at Oyster. Oh, cool. Uh, and if Kim is putting out the fires, I'm making sure folks know which way to go towards the exit, <laughs> right? I thought you were going to say you were starting the fires, but I, <laughs> that, 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 went, that went in a different way, but all right. I, I put some, some kindling every once in a while in the fires, but yeah, I'm generally trying to direct people away we from the fires. The burns. Selling, yeah, exactly. selling fireworks. No worries, no worries. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a show at the end of the hall, actually, yeah. <laughs> So we're talking about DI and specifically kind of what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, and what, we're, what we should be measuring, et cetera. So, Kim, we'll start with you. Sure. So as you look across the kind of the corporate landscape, your opinion on what, what, we, what you think we're doing right or what you feel like there's some movement in a positive direction. Yeah, I think the thing that I've noticed in the last few years especially is people are broadening their sense of what it means to to be inclusive. Right. And to think about DEI as more than the standard race and gender that right. the, the entry point into DNI work. Right. And now looking at what I think about as like the diversity of diversity. Right. We're talking about disability inclusion, we're talking about neurodiversity, we're talking about geographic diversity, we're talking about economic equality, we're talking about education, um, and really understanding the benefits of kind of a multifaceted approach to, to thinking about diversity and inclusion. I think people are more open to that conversation as the pandemic you right. know, released <laughs> released us all into our homes and people could see things like the need for mental health support, the need for support for caregivers, the need for support for people with disabilities, and that there's so much more to understanding DNI than right. than we were previously allowing ourselves to experience. Right. We had a very one-dimensional or two-dimensional yeah. view of, okay, if we just promote women and minorities. Right. We're good. Right. Yeah. Let's promote them and then let's not support them at all. <laughs> let's just like stick them in there and then we'll have met our quota. Yeah, I sure. think the it quota lo- doesn't matter anymore. It looks great on the brochure though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Chris, what do you think we're we're doing well or where do you think we've made strides in DI? I think we've made strides simply by having the conversation. I think for so long uh, many of us were scared to have these conversations and we all show up as something in right. the workplace or in life, right? We're all right. S- something, right? Um, me, I'm, I'm a black man. Right. And I think for me, so for so long, I was scared to raise issues related to my identity right. for fear that folks would, you know, quote unquote, think I was, you know, playing a card. Right. right. Well, in reality, right. I'm, yeah, it's my just who I am. It's, it's just my life pass. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't you wish that you could talk the way you, at work that you would do at home? Yeah, absolutely. Like when you're at home and you're with your friends, you, you talk a different way. Yeah. Like, well, and that's not to interrupt, but that, I mean, that's something that we're really, we're hyper aware of at Oyster, for example. And, you know, um, come, not to sound cliche, but showing up as yourself. I mean, Kim, yeah. Kim just, you know, said shit uh, right yeah. here, right? And, yeah. and and that's we do that at work, too. And it, it, that's a small thing, but it, it's to say right. you should be able to show up and, and just, uh, just like you show up at home. Uh, 
and be able to find belonging, right? Right, and not just feel like okay, I'm going to be this person that acts like myself, and but I'm going to be super isolated. But creating the conditions in the environment where you can show up as yourself, but also find belonging within that space. Mm-hmm. See, I think I think it's the an employer brand should attract and repel, mm. in in the sense of like okay, if you don't like cursing, that's a simple example, yeah. right? But if you don't like cursing, you shouldn't work here. Yeah, like just don't apply. It's cool. Like yeah. we can still be friends if that's a bit. Um, There's right. a really like controversial um, opinion on this, which is being really clear with who you are as a company and yeah. what's allowed and what's not allowed. That's right. This was I remember. Um, I don't even want to say his name out loud. The Amazon man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Talking about like this is our culture. If you don't like it, get out. Right. And you know, in, in some ways, I agree. Like being true to who you are as a company and who you're trying to be lets you bring people in who want to be a part of that. And See, it's I think okay the, if you don't. I think the New York Times got that wrong. They wrote an article on their culture a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and they basically said Amazon's culture is bad. Right. And I'm like... It is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Some bunch people of, thrive in that. A bunch of my friends uh, work on Wall Street. It's 120 hours a week. It's meritocracy. It's your shark-infested waters. Yeah. You know, but that's what they like. Yeah. yeah. That's what they want. There's something for everybody. Right. But being true to communicate what that is and right. isn't, right. it would be unfair. Like, I wouldn't thrive in that environment. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's really interesting. One thing that this makes me think about is the fact that perhaps in a co-located environment, we work for a remote company, right? right. Fully distributed, globally remote. And perhaps in a co-located environment, it is, you feel that a bit more like, hey, I don't fit into this culture, quote mm-hmm. unquote. This ain't for me. Something that I might challenge what we were just talking about a little bit is to say that by being global, by being distributed, those walls, it's, it's, it's a much larger space, right? Yeah. And so maybe if you don't fit into this corner, right. maybe go explore that other corner and see, see, see who wants to hang out and play around in that sandbox, mm-hmm. right? Really uh, and I, I think that that's one of the interesting things about being global and distributed is that it provides a bit more space for people to find their community within it. Understanding that you, I, I do think it's important to have a, a culture and values that are defined, right? right? So folks know how far to, to venture off, but feeling that security to know that, yeah, we've still got your back and there's going to be people that want to hang out with you there as well. That's yeah. right. And, and again, you, you create a lot of different spaces for folks to thrive and allow them to find them. So you got to have those values, but you also got to communicate them and you got to live them. Yeah. That's like it's the hardest thing for a lot of companies. It's <laughs> like, we can write down the words. Right. Got it. But then it's like, how do you live it every day? Yeah. Because you get pushed. Yeah. You get pushed every, you know, you all know this, you get pushed <laughs> every day on those things. So let's let's talk about where we could make strides or what we're not doing really well with DI. Kim? Yeah, well, one of the biggest challenges that I say we're, we're not doing well and there's no answer for it yet is is taking DEI and applying a global lens to it. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm biased towards this because we're in, as Chris said, we're fully distributed. We're in 70 countries. And... <laughs> I know. Prior to Oyster. No, there was 70 countries. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Just Man. kidding. Just kidding. Uh, prior to Oyster, I, my, primarily my career had been in the San Francisco, San Francisco tech scene, right. which is pretty homogenous. 100%. Uh, and oh. how you collect DNI data is pretty standardized. We're not going to talk about dongles, though. Yeah, no. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, my bad. But the, like, ask, there's questions that you have to ask because there's EEOC compliance requirements, yeah. right? Yeah. When, when I started at Oyster and I was trying to figure out, okay, how do we understand our, our employee population? There's countries where you can't even ask those questions. Right. It's illegal to ask the questions that are mandatory in other places. So there's this real question of how do we understand who our employees are? And how do we do that in a way that is safe and that is like helps them protect their 
their identities in ways that are maybe not comfortable for them to share? Right. Um, and how do we do it in a way that's compliant? So I always look at balancing, you know, what do we need from this data? How do we get this data? And how do we have safety and compliance at the core of this so people are protected? Um, for example, you know, if we want to understand our LGBTQIA plus population. Right. But we have employees in countries where it's illegal to be gay. Right. So how do we understand the experience that those employees are having and how they're able to show up at work how and feel you, safe? How, how can you talk? When we can't, right. you know, we can't force them to disclose that information. Right. And we have to understand why they might not feel comfortable disclosing that information. Right. So you can't, you have to kind of make the space for people to show up if they want to. That's right. And I think the thing we're not getting, that we're not getting right is that the DEI conversation has such an American lens mm-hmm. yep. to it that like we have to think about what does that even mean globally? Right. We have employees that are like, why are we even talking about this? Yeah. Or they're so, like, there's no racism in my country. It's, and I'm I, like, well, just because you don't think there is doesn't mean there isn't. Right. But like, how do, how do you address racism for people whose country that they come from has a culture of not uh, acknowledging racism? So this was uh, yeah. interesting for me for the Philippines. Uh, visited several times, but one of the, one of the times that I visited, I talked to a guy about this. I said, you know, Filipino people have a lot of different last names. He goes, okay. I said, he said, okay, so we were conquered by the Spanish, conquered by the Japanese, we were conquered by the Chinese, and we were conquered by American. So you're going to have a mixture of all of these different things. And I said, so is there different, like a like a caste system? Or like, who more, pe- more people are Filipino or this, that, and he goes, no, you're Filipino. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I'm like, that's fascinating because here it would be different. Yeah, totally, right? Absolutely. It's like, so I just found it fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, what do you think that we should be doing a better job of? So I led with the, when I said what we were doing well was the conversation. I think what we're struggling with and where we can improve is that we're still having conversations. <laughs> and um, the good news is, is yeah, the good news you is, know, you got to do some shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at one point. Yeah, and, and I think point. that's the thing. I, obviously, the conversation and the necessity around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging has been around for a long time. I think since 2020, it's really been front of mind for a lot right. of folks. And what you started to see, and what I was a bit skeptical about was you start to see all, you know, DEI roles oh, pop yeah. up yeah. at companies. Oh, yeah. uh, and I don't know what all the companies are doing, so I'm not going to sit here and talk about them. Right. But what I hope is that they're doing less of the talking, and that's translating into action, right? right. Uh, and, and to build on some of what Kim was saying about it, not just being the stuff that you see or diversity, equity, inclusion, being much broader, is that I think, I think folks just need to stop being scared to do Right. Mm-hmm. Just get into it. Just start talking with your folks. One thing that we do, and you know, not to make this an oyster party, but one thing I'm very proud of is that I also really believe and we believe that inclusion and belonging plays out in your social interests as well. Right. Mm-hmm. The things that you're interested in, the way that you're able to create community right. and find you again, if we use that example of that space, find your corner, find that sandbox. Right. And I think the more organizations, companies, people, uh, governments can do to uh, to, to, to create the environment where people feel like they can find those spaces, I think that's a really easy first step to take action, right? Yeah. When I think about stuff like that, th- there's always this example that I come back with, and I always think about the Marvel Universe, and I'm, I'm actually not a huge Marvel person, nothing, nothing wrong with it, I just don't watch all the movies, but I know a couple things about <laughs> them, and I know that you've got a white kid from Queens named Spider-Man. Right. I know you've got the Black Panther from Wakanda. I know that Wonder Woman is... is from uh, an island somewhere, Some that, 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 Amazonian island, and I know there's a lot of problems with like stereotypes within all this stuff. 
But isn't it fascinating that all these folks live their lives, they have their interests, but when the world needs them, they find a way to come together, right? And I think if companies could do more of that, right. I think that we would be in a much better position with this conversation. So give folks time to create their sandbox right. space and create opportunities for connection so that way when the company needs to leverage those folks, you have that bench depth of perspective and lived experiences, and it's really easy to activate, right? That's, that's, um, a, wonderful, that that's a wonderful metaphor. I love that. Yeah, we're gonna steal that. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely. So measurement-wise, what do you think that we should be looking at to know that we're actually doing the things that we're saying that we're doing? Like, what, what do you, someone said earlier, and I thought it was really interesting, that she looks at, out of all the things she had to go and look at one thing, she looks at who we promote. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that might not be the thing, but but it was a cool conversation. So what do you look at? Yeah. I mean, promotion rate is, is a new one for us. We yeah. just completed our second ever promotion cycle. Oh, cool. Um, and it's the first time that we're, we did a cycle where we're going to have kind of before and after data. Mm. Um, and so promotion rate is, is a critical one. But again, looking at what are the demographic slices you're looking at. Right. So for me, my my current work as of current, as in like this quarter right now, is trying to identify what are the demographics that we can collect, again, safely, compliantly, right. and inclusively, so that we can look at, um, I've, I've, I think it's five, I'm gonna try to list them all. I look at uh, hiring, compensation, promotion, retention, and engagement. Right. Are my five kind of key things that I look at. That's your dashboard. That's my dashboard. Right. Um, and I try to look at it across as many demographics as I can. Right. A big one for me is caregivers. That's an undermeasured demographic. Yep. Um, that has huge implications on your workforce. And like, what are you collecting and how are you collecting it? But that's, those are kind of the five things that I, I love it. I really look at. Chris, what about yourself? I, I look at Kim and <laughs> Kim's trying to work out for this. It's co- it's complicated. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Hope I'm going to go out. hang out in Marvel Chris, World Chris while you figure out tracking this. Um, no, it's something Kim and I talk about often, like actually tracking this stuff is challenging. I think it's right. probably one of the biggest conversations in this space right now. Right. Um, one of the things that I, I really do like looking at promotions because I think that that's where you start to go away from some of that performative work that I was talking about right. before, right? right. But it's, it's not performative, excuse me. I mean, getting people into organizations and allowing them to grow, that's fantastic, truly. I think where you really start to see some opportunity, where you really start to see people getting excited about things, or when your C-suite or your board is reflective of the organization. Um, And and so, you know, I'm always looking to see more of that. And that's something that I'm really proud of at Oyster. I'm really excited for us to look right now as we wrap this this first cycle, um, or I should say first measured cycle, is to look at promotion rate and representation across our mid-level management yeah. and senior-level yep. management. Yep. It's really easy to look at your C-suite. There's only like five people there, right? right. But looking down at like who recently became a manager, who got promoted from manager to director, that mid-level tier is often ignored um, because they're kind of the sandwich pieces in the middle, right? That's right. Um, and often not trained. And often not trained, right. So we, we really have been focusing a lot on how we support that mid-level of management and it's something that we're going to be dedicating resources to this year. It's like, how do we scale support for this group of like 100 managers that we have? How do we make sure they're supported and growing and learning? And I want to look at that group and see, are all of our managers from uh, like highly successful economic, right. you know, developed countries? Right. Are they all from traditional tech markets? Right. Are they, do we have people that we're promoting into management 
that are from emerging economies or developing areas, which is where our mission tells us to be focusing, right? Pear-shaped middle-aged white guys. Right. I, I mean, gotta love them, but they can't be everything. <laughs> and just to, you know, just to build on that, what we're talking about, that point I made earlier in terms of just taking action or not being afraid to do it. Um, and I just mentioned something about, you know, getting folks in the pipeline, which is super important. And I, you know, I think because it's so close to me working at a company like Oyster, where we are just bringing folks from around the world together, it's actually really bold. And so what I would say if folks are listening is that a really powerful first step you can take is create a uh, employee base that's reflective of your customers, yeah. right? Uh, and if you're struggling with that, there's companies like Oyster that can help you make that happen, Some right? Uh, yeah, for sure. But it's it's, nice. it's true, and it's a very easy but first step. But it was woven step. in so You know, we're just nicely. storytellers over here. That's what we, we do. Fires yeah. that way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Y'all have been but wonderful. But it's, it's so true, though. Like, expanding your idea of what an employee needs to look like at your company. Yeah. Is the first is a really good first step. I like I like the tie back yeah. into the customers too because you could be yeah. serving a customer base that's completely diverse, right? And you're not diverse, right? And yeah. At one point that catches up with you. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Y'all have been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for Such a us. pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah.